Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? Let's go ahead and jump into it. You got to give a lot just to get what you need sometimes, y'all. Give me the bridge now. Hey, what's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another amazing episode of Ringside with Ray and Prince. We are here with another legend. You know, we sit here, we give you a ringside seat to have these conversations mm. up close and personal with the best in the business. We got a UNC legend. We got an NBA mm. legend and just mm. an all-around great guy, the CEO of HBCU Heroes, and George Lynch is doing amazing things. Man, George, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, fellas. It's always good to be, be on here with you guys. Man, we appreciate having you, man. So thank you. For taking out the time to you know spend time with us, man. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, so, so uh, we always like to sh- start the show off. We want to learn a little bit about your background, starting from you know, when you were young, g- learning into to basketball. But then we're gonna take a little twist, and we'll turn into like like what was like your energy, what made you, what was your your, your guiding light. Not we yeah. we 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 could talk basketball, but we don't want to just talk about basketball. We want to talk about the mm-hmm. motivations. We want to talk about the real story behind the story. So, yeah. tell us a little bit about where you were born. What was your your, your upbringing? Uh, brothers, sisters, all that kind of stuff. What what was it like? Man, you know, I was I was brought up in from in Roanoke, Virginia. Man, small town, western part of you, uh, Virginia, in the mm-hmm. southwest area. You know, not too far from Blacksburg, Virginia. Uh, and grew up, man, humble beginnings, you know, grew up with three sisters. My father and mother, you know, got a divorce when I was probably around two years old, too young to remember. And, you know, was raised by my stepfather. You know, he the one taught me how to play, play basketball and kind of, you know, instill that, that drive to, to want to be good. And, um, you know, just, the passion came from just wanting to provide, you know, a better lifestyle for my family. Uh, you know, I was the first one in my family to go to college. So that was an accomplishment, you know, to go there and get my degree, go to the University of North Carolina and play some basketball for for the late, great Dean Smith, uh, following this in the footstep of some of the great players that came through Chapel Hill. So it was it was a blessing. Yeah. That's beautiful. George, okay, so I'm, I'm going to slow this down because when I was two years old, my parents got a divorce as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I could barely re- remember any of it, but um, I had an opportunity to grow up with my father later on in life. Yeah. But when I was young, I, I, I never had any animosity because I didn't really understand what was going on. I just knew that I, I can identify who my dad was and I, I can go and hug the man. And that was it. You know, when, when you were growing up, did you ever have any any animosity or did your stepfathers uh, or your stepfather step in and, and I, like so, take the lead role? Uh, you know, my father was always around. He just oh. didn't live in the same house. Ah, beautiful. I would stay with him on weekends. Uh, you know, he would pick 
my sister and I up and uh, my sister really didn't like staying there much. So it was really a lot of times it ended up just being me and my dad, you know, hanging out and, you know, like you said, he, he, he worked, you know, as I got older in high school, mm-hmm. he worked the, the night shifts at the post office. And, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, when I was getting home from school, he was going off to work. So it was one of those type mm-hmm. of relationships that I knew he was around, you know, he supported yeah. far. And, uh, you know, like you said, I was too young to, to understand when they got a divorce, you know, mm-hmm. so it wasn't that I grew up with him, you know, half my life and then he just left. Mm-hmm. So it's always natural, to, you know, to see him on the weekends or, or whenever he was had days off. Man, that, yeah. that's an interesting dynamic. And and right. I, I know how that is because I was on TV with my father, but my father wasn't around. <laughs> right. So like I, everything was going in, in that space. But I didn't learn till later. I did have some animosity, you know, in, in my heart for, for a while because I didn't understand sometimes the sacrifices of, of a parent and some of the things that, you know, choices that you make, especially when your parents are young. My parents were you know, super young. So to learn and figure out when I became a parent to say, man, this it, it's not as black and white as as you think it is when you when you're young, right? Right. Right. Yeah, you know what? I you know, now that you say that I look back with my three children, uh, I tried to be there as much as possible because my, my parents and wasn't around, they was always working. Uh, and then you know, with my three kids, my oldest son, I was still playing a little bit basketball until he was about nine. So he probably thought I was gone a lot. Um, But with my other two, my youngest daughter, my daughter, I was towards the end of my career. And uh, so she was too young to know whether if I was there or not. But my youngest, I was done and I had an opportunity to spend a lot lot more time hands-on um, with him, nice. and, and, and you say that, and one of the things that I found myself doing, you know, because I got four kids, and so I started to overcompensate to try to make sure that I was there because <laughs> my parents wasn't there, right? So right. I would, you know, if I'm 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 out somewhere on on a trip on a business trip, I would get on a plane, the last plane out to fly back to be back at their game or something if I could possibly make it and be there, and like I, it it would burn me out to do there but you know i i realized i knew that here if, if i show up then you know then they're going to know that I'm, I'm appreciated and you know i'm there for them even though you know it, it's, it's it's killing me to do it <laughs> you know i gotta <laughs> somewhere else to be in the morning and i gotta fly out I, I i remember walking up to a game one of my son's football games with my suitcase <laughs> coming coming right off the plane right right to, right to the field with a suitcase so <laughs> Did you guys feel like, you know, with your kids, did you overcompensate to try to be there when, when our parents wasn't there as much as we would have liked them to be? Yeah, you know, and, and you know, I look back on it because, you know, and I watch some of these other kids that, you know, that's playing today and their parents are so involved with AAU. Now I think parents are too involved, if, it, if that's possible. You know, uh, the times that, that we had to grow up in the park. We had to learn to maneuver in the neighborhood, you know, cause your parents weren't there. You, I mean, if you didn't have some boys with guard having your back, you were out there by yourself and you had to learn 
pick and choose your battles. So in a way, I grew up learning that. Uh, and I look at my kids, they don't quite understand that. And I'm like, yo, you got to watch yourself when you're in certain neighborhoods, you know, and they don't they don't quite understand that dynamic of, you know, growing up as a youngster. When when you you were raising your kids, uh, you said that you was in the NBA, so you was probably living a, a, a nice, uh, lavish life. Uh, was there ever a time where you would take them to some neighborhoods? And well, I, 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 take them, I tried to take them to my neighborhood. My neighborhood was mowed down. <laughs> I went there no more. But there's, there's instances like, you know, like you said, you grew up. My kids grew up totally different than me. So right. my, I remember my youngest would take his favorite toy to school and he would get hustled. You know, a kid would trade him. And I'm looking at, you traded for that toy? You know, he got you on that one. But he ended up, he ended up learning because, cause, cause, so my kids went to private school. My oldest went to private school from K through 12. My daughter went K through ninth grade. And my youngest son went K through five. And so when my youngest son and my daughter decided that they didn't want to do private school, we moved to Atlanta and they hit public school in Atlanta. And it was, it was a whole, it was eye opening for them, you know, and it was some kids there, you know, that had a little game with them. They were hustling. So my son would come in with, you know, nice, the nice little toy, and he come back home. He didn't have that toy. I'm like, man, you got. He got you on that one. But he learned. He learned how to hustle, you know, and 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 still today, man. You know, he's a senior in high school, man. And I see him from the experiences that he learned right around middle school. He hustling, man. He he he's selling sneakers and everything. I'm like, man, you got it rolling now. So he figured it out, and that was and that's a learning experience that I think. Sometimes, you know, when you make it and you're doing well, you, you, you want to protect your kids so much that you forget that some of the learning experiences we all had when we were youngsters living in a less fortunate neighborhood that you learn to barter. And he learned to barter and he's he's doing pretty well. That, that, that's awesome, man. You know, like we, we all have to take our course and and go through our own. Uh, uh, growing pains and, and learn, you know, things. I remember when I was younger, I got a new bike and, uh, you know, one of the neighborhood guys, he was just like, man, he's like, man, let me, let me just ride it real quick, man. I got you. I was like, no, my mama told me I can't let you ride it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, he still talked me into riding the bike, man. It, it, you know, daytime turned to night <laughs> and, you know, like, man, you go, you go back home, your mama's like, where the bike at? And so and so had it. If you don't go get that bike, boy, I'm going to beat you down. <laughs> so I'm outside. It's just dark outside looking for my bike, you know, just huffing and puffing, man. <laughs> and he bring it back later on. Like, yeah, you can have your bike back now. <laughs> like, ah, ah, ah. I'm going to yep. fight you, you know. So you learn real quick, man. So uh, so you, you, you're growing up in, in Virginia, at what point in time, when you got to high school, uh, did you realize that you were good enough to go to college? And, and you know, when, when did UNC start knocking on your door? 
Man, you know, it's funny because I had, I always had, you know, my dad tried out for the um, the uh, Indianapolis Colts. He had a tryout football, and he ended up going into the draft. It was the military draft. So he didn't get that opportunity to play football. And then I always had uncles that played college basketball. I think one of my uncles went to St. Ong, played. And then I had a lot of cousins, older cousins, that were pretty good high school basketball players. And, um, you know, coming up as a youngster, you go to the high school games and try to get on TV when they're doing their interviews. And then you always had, you know, someone in the family, niece or um, uncle or aunt, would always say, man, you're going to be the next. They were always saying, you're going to be good. And I didn't really, I didn't really pay it any mind. You know, you know, when you're young, you're just in the park, hooping, having fun, playing multiple sports. And I think right around 15, right around middle school, ninth grade, we took a trip. I was playing AU basketball and we had a neighborhood team and we was pretty good. And we, we went to nationals and, uh, that was my first taste of playing against real good competition, uh, having an opportunity to, you know, see where you stand. And after that, man, it kind of took off. You know, the 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 love for traveling, getting on a plane at 15, playing AU basketball, was kind of my motivator because, you know, like I said, my my parents, we were humble begin humble means. I mean, I had probably never left the state of Virginia. You know, I went to Hampton, you know, to the East Coast, to the beach with my with my stepdad. But that was the only time I got out of the neighborhood playing basketball. And and that kind of gave me that fire and the desire to want to travel. And basketball was my ticket. And then right around my sophomore and junior year, varsity basketball, we had a pretty good team. We won state. And uh my guidance counselor in my high school uh, played at North Carolina. And he told Coach Smith and Coach Gufford about me. He said, you need, as a kid in Roanoke, you need to go see. And then after my junior year, we won state. I ended up going up to Northern Virginia, to the D.C. area. And at that time, man, it was some great basketball in D.C. They still got some good basketball up there, the Catholic League, you know, that was doing the Rafael, Rafael Edmund, the big time drug dealer. That was time, man. That was some good times in D.C., man. Georgetown was balling, University of Maryland. Uh, so, you know, playing at that level in that competition, that's when I knew, you know, those. I was on the court with pros. Guys was playing in the NBA, Reggie Lewis, Mark Tillman, uh, uh, Manu Bowl, Muggsy Bogues, all them guys, Reggie Williams would come back. And, you know, being on the same court with those guys and being able to compete, it kind of gave me that confidence that I could play, you know, high-level basketball. Yeah. You was out there holding your own, baby. Yeah. <laughs> all them greats, all them superstars out there, man. So, you know, so as you're playing, as you're getting comfortable, as you're filling your game, when did when when did you feel like you know man I, I I'm I'm holding my own I can go toe to toe you know like it's time to go to UNC. Well, you know, I I didn't want to go to Carolina. I wanted. Why to go not? To, I was a I was a Limbaugh's fan. For all you uh -huh. do your research, do your research. Yeah, man. <laughs> I, I, wanted, 
I wanted to go to I wanted to go to Maryland, and you know when when his unexpected death, uh, mm. they never recovered from it. If if that had never happened, I probably would have been playing for the Maryland Terpins instead of Chapel Hill. Uh, uh. But things worked out. Went to Chapel Hill. Coach Smith came up to a practice. They started mm. recruiting and uh, took my first official visit to the Dean Dome. It had only been open for about two or three years when I got there. So it was brand new. I saw that powder blue, man. You know, my my um, my chaperones for the trip when I came, went on my re recruiting visit was King Rice, Rick Fox. And those guys showed me a good time, man. They were they were good brothers, man. I think the one thing that Carolina does is when you come on a visit, those guys, those guys who are playing there currently, really bring you in and make you feel a part of, of the family. And uh, I think I came back that summer, man. Mike Jordan was playing, Kenny Smith, yeah, uh, Sam Perkins. You see all yeah. of them watching the NBA, they were out there hooping. I was like, oh, man, it couldn't get any better. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, man, for an 18-year-old to step on a college campus and be out there with guys, Hall of Famers like that, it was, I mean, I couldn't, I, I couldn't say no. <laughs> I know, like a kid in the candy store, just yeah. like, wow. It was you know, for me, I get motivated by that. And when I can be in that space, like uh, I, I, I try to absorb as much knowledge as I possibly can, as much wisdom as I possibly can, because <clears throat> they know a lot. They compete at a very high level and it motivates me to compete at a very, very high level. man. so, you know, like just just being in that environment, I know it, it accelerated your game. And it made you feel extremely you know, confident in everything that you do, man. So, um, with 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 that team, who was one of the the like your your teammates that you spent the most time with, or you you had that connection, that bond with, and you knew that uh, <clears throat> you were going to take it to a whole nother level? Because for me, my my best friend was Calvin Johnson, uh, mm -hmm. even though he was younger younger than me. You know, when he came into the league, I mean, when he came to Georgia Tech. And it was somebody that I took underneath my wing. But I also learned a lot from him as well, even though I was a hard worker. And he, he followed me from, from my hard work. And that dude, he had the talent and he had the, the, the work ethic. And so we would push each other. And uh, that was a person that I knew I could compete, compete with at a very high level. Uh, yeah. So who was, who was that person that pushed you? For me, um, you know, Rick Fox, Kevin Madden, uh, you know, we had a slew of guys there that, you know, get in the gym and we would compete knowing that, you know, they, they looking at me like a young fella coming in trying to get minutes. And I'm looking at them like, look, I don't know who's going to give me some minutes, but one of y'all giving them up. So, but it was, it was great, man. You know, we, we competed, you know, pick up games, but then after we left the court, man, they made sure that, we had a ride back to campus. You know, they showed me where the spots to go to if I ain't had no money in my pocket to get a meal. Uh, you know, it was it was just a great. It was one of those pecking order things where you know you come in as a freshman, you got to earn your stripes. 
You got to carry the bags. You got to do stuff that the older guys tell you to do, pay your dues. But it was well worth it, man. Those guys, I have a lot of respect for those guys still today because they were like big brothers to me and uh, took a young fella, you know, under their wings at that time in his life where he was trying to figure it all out. Man, that's awesome, man. Yeah. And then you had the, the great Dean Smith, you know, just bringing all those, all, all these personalities together. How did he do it? How was his coaching style? Was it, was it, uh, the, the, was he a coach player or, or he was just like, do what I say? Uh, it was funny, man. Cause you know, as a, as a youngster, my, my stepdad was a big Carolina fan watching, you know, Jordan, Jimmy Black, and Charlie Scott and all those guys play. And I used to be running through the house, and he said, oh, come here, watch Carolina play. You know, because it, it was a big rivalry, Carolina, UVA with Ralph Sampson. So, so it was a big, you know, rivalry between I'm a, I'm a Virginia kid, you know, North Carolina, Virginia rivalry. So my dad would always sit me down in front of the TV and watch it. But uh, Dean Smith was kind of like a – a, a godly figure, man. I mean, I swear, up until the day he passed, I was always nervous around him. Wow. And it's a story on my recruiting visit that I tell people, you know, he picked me up from the uh, airport. And, you know, back then, Easy e came out. You know, Compton's mm -hmm. most opponent. So <laughs> he was like, you know, hey, I want you to feel comfortable. You got, you, you know, anything you want to listen to. And I'm like, man, I got this tape in my pocket. In the back of my head, you know, easy. They were, they were doing all that cussing. Right. So I was like, man, if I play this tape and he doesn't like me, he doesn't like the music or he doesn't like me, it's going to be the last time I'll be on this campus. <laughs> right? So I said, yeah, I got a tape, coach. And, uh, He's like, I'll put it in. Let's listen to it. So we ride, you know, the airport from, from Raleigh during the Chapel Hill. It was about a 30-minute ride. So we, I mean, we listened to good four or five songs. And, uh, you know, it started playing. And he was like, oh, you know, you know, because they had nice, nice chords, nice beats. Right. You know, was hooking it up. And then they started cussing. And and he said, you know, with the Dean Smith voice, my gosh, George, I, I'm i not too sure about the lyrics, you know. <laughs> but it was so funny, man, that he allowed me as a young teenager to come in, you know, be myself, listen to my music, and he didn't judge me, you know. Mm. And it was, he, was, he was all about trying to do stuff for the players. It was all about his players. His players came first. You know, up until the day he died, you know, you hear the story about him sending each letterman two hundred dollars to take their family out for a nice meal. And he was real big on that. I mean, we ate at some of the best restaurants, you know, money that could buy. I mean, if we, if we decided to, as a team we wanted to go to Golden Corral or, you know, one of those lower level steakhouses, he would be very disappointed in us. Mm. You know, he, he said he said to stand it up there. Yeah, he wanted us to go to five star restaurants. I mean, he wanted us to experience life as a, you know, as as fine as we could, you know, Man. when we were under his wings.
Well, see that that brings me to another conversation. Nineteen ninety-three, that season. Mm-hmm. You you guys are, are 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 running through you know uh, in the top tier of everything, but then you got this other monster that is the Fab Five. The, this this whole crew on the other side that everybody's like, man, that like this is not gonna be easy. Like they should right. just win it all. Like they they you gonna crown them, crown them. They already crowned them, right? And 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 you're going through the the the, the final, you know, going through the whole tournament the ncaa tournament what was that like having that clash coming towards it and you're like damn are we gonna play michigan are we gonna play them boy like, like can, can we get past it like if we play them that they, they already crowned them what was that whole journey like to get through the sweet 16 because carolina y'all was supposed to get to the sweet 16 but elite eight to keep going and get into that championship to go up against the big the big titans the michigan wolverines you know, it's funny, it's funny, you know, back then, you know, coming up in the early 90s, you know, we talk about, you know, the basketball in high school in D.C. area. The Big East and the ACC was the two top conferences, you know, especially when I, when I made my decision to play college basketball, I was going to play in the Big East or the ACC because I felt that as far as basketball, if you wanted to prove yourself as a basketball player, you had to come out of one of those two conferences. And, you know, with Duke being, shit, less than eight miles, nine, 15 miles apart, whatever the distance is, we really didn't think about no one else. You know, it was either mm. ACC, it was Carolina or Duke. And we we felt that whoever won the ACC regular season or the ACC tournament was going to win the Final Four. You know, and and it's funny because – you know, my four years at Carolina, Duke won two of the national championships. Mm. And all I could think of going into my senior year, I'm going out as a winner. We gonna be Duke. <laughs> out as a winner. You know, they had just won it my sophomore and junior year back to back. That's all we heard about. Mm. And then, you know, playing against them two or three times a year, we were battle-tested. The ACC was tough. You know, you guys think about Wake Forest, had Rodney Rogers and Randolph Childers. You know, shit, Virginia always had a tough team. Um, Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech had Sally, John Sally, and uh, the crew. Georgia Tech. Florida State had, you know, Sam Cassell, Charlie Ward. Ooh, wow. They had a, you know, that. I mean, we went through, we went through, you know, a gauntlet of, of tough teams. Yeah. Um, and played a we played a tough non-conference schedule. We played Michigan early in the year. I think it was either right around Thanksgiving or Christmas. And we lost to them on the tip end. You know, a lot of people don't remember that game. And um, we felt – we knew that they had more talent. Man for man, Michigan probably had more talent than anybody in college basketball. They were like the UNLV teams of the early 90s. Mm. And um, – you know, for us to lose to them, tap in at the buzzer, we felt that, you know, we were just as good as them. We weren't as flashy. We we wish we had the black sneakers like Michigan had, the black socks. I mean, we we I mean we respected them, but we felt that the practices and the work that we put in that Coach Smith prepared us for anything. 
and 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 unlike now, you know, we had an older team. We had four or five seniors, four or five juniors. Probably only had one or two freshmen. So we had an older team that had been together through wins and losses. So going into that, you know, going into that Final Four, I mean, we had Dean Smith on our sideline. So we knew if the, if the game was close, he was gonna he was gonna pull us out of it. Pull and we, but you but you but you knew Michigan had Rob Palinka. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Rob, thoughts against us, man. But uh, yeah, they um, you know, they were they were a talented team, man. But there was there was holes in it. There was chinks in their armor, man. They they didn't have a press offense. You know, I, I tell people all the time, they ask me about the timeout situation. When we played them in Hawaii, Chris Weber always wanted to bring the ball up. And mm. he wasn't my man, but I told Montross, I said, you run back to the rim, protect the rim. I get back to my man when we get across half court. And we, we had that trust and belief in each other. Um, so... Jalen was always their primary ball handler. He was always taking the ball off for some reason. And I told D Phelps, I was like, D, anytime Jalen takes the ball out, we're just going to do a two-man press. Mm. And and he would take the ball out, and Chris Weber, they couldn't get the ball in. They burned the timeout. A couple plays later, he took the ball out again. And I knew I could guard one through five. I was – you know, growing up as a youngster, man, I had smaller cousins that always wanted to dribble the ball. And, you know, when you're playing one-on-one in the hood, they'll dribble, they'll dribble for five minutes and then wait for <laughs> and then want to play and then want to shoot the ball. So <laughs> right. at an early age, I learned how to guard smaller guys. You know, it was a blessing that, you know, I had smaller cousins. They made me chase them around the court. And uh, so – Guarding one through five, you know, I felt that I could guard everybody at Michigan, you know, at least for about the time during the shot clock. You know, Chris Weber was a handful once he got on the block. You know, Jalen, you know, if I was able to cut the court off on him, I could guard him. But it came down to them not having a timeout, Jalen taking the ball out, Chris Weber, you know, not being a primary ball handler, you know, knowing that he was going to get some pressure, I was able to stay close enough to him that, you know, myself and Derek Phelps was able to run him into a corner. But any, any, I believe if I was on the other side, if it was the other way around, I probably would have called timeout too. Um, mm. There's another story behind that. Uh, if we got time, you know, we were in practice yeah. one day and Coach Smith would always put us in situations. And situations were, would be, he'll put two minutes on the clock at the end of practice, and he might put the blue team up, which is the road guys or second team. He might get them a nine-point lead. And we either had to tie the game up or take the lead, or we had to do extra running. And we, we mm. did that throughout the whole year. And this was, man, this was probably right before the ACC tournament started, which would have been in, February, end of February, early March. And we in practice and Donna Williams, we, we make a comeback. It was myself, 
Brian Reese, Montrose, Phelps, and, and Donna Williams were on the team. We cut the lead to um, maybe one, I think, one or two points. And it was a loose ball. So Donald dives on the floor for the loose ball, and he calls timeout. This was in practice. And, we, you know, back then in the early, in the early 90s, you could practice for three, four hours, and you couldn't complain to the NCAA. Mm. <laughs> now, practice two hours, they're going to turn you into the NCAA, you know, for over-practicing. So we had been in practice, man. I swear it had to be a three, four-hour practice. And Donna calls timeout. Coach Smith, he didn't cuss, but he might as well cuss them out because he was like, listen, these are my timeouts. Don't nobody use my timeouts but me. Mm. Put us on the end line, and you know in basketball practice, you make you run them 17s, and, man, we ran. I, I swear we had to run 100 of them. So he instilled in us that his timeouts was valuable. Wow. And it's funny because, you know, we get to that championship game. Michigan don't have any timeouts left. Call a timeout. It doesn't cost them the game, but it was a, it was a big play. At that at that time and moment of the game, but y'all y'all saw a pattern. Like you, you say, when when Jalen took the ball out, you saw Chris try to come up, and y'all could could run a two man press on him and, and put put him in the corner. So you saw a pattern before yeah. it even all happened. So it wasn't it wasn't just like this was happenstance. That this just just look. You saw the pattern. You guys saw the pattern before it even happened. Right, right, and and, and it's funny because you know Chris wasn't my man. I, Montrose, that was Montrose's guy. So Montrose should have been up, but him being a seven-footer, he's not picking up full court. And, <laughs> nah. you know, Coach Smith trusted in, in me being a senior, making the right call. Um, you know, Derek Phelps was a hell of a defender, one-on-one, on-the-ball defender. So we just, you know, did what we were accustomed to doing, using the sidelines as an extra defender, keeping the ball on one side of the floor, and just being aware of, of time and possession and how many timeouts you have. Mm. So going through that whole situation, win the championship, next phase, the big leagues, NBA. You've seen Jordan, you've seen all all these all these cats that you've been watching, hanging out with, and like, okay, here's the next level. It's one thing to say, okay, I'm a, I'm a dog in college, but then they go up and say, you got grown men. And they everybody try to feed their families and eat. What was that like to, to get drafted into the to the league and say, all right, here you go, I gotta find my way here? You know, you know, it's it's funny because like I said, I'm I, I was from Roanoke, Virginia, small town, and you know, playing ball, you know, the ACC is big time basketball, but every little town is a small town. It wasn't mm. no, you know, other than playing non-conference games in New York, we didn't travel. I mean, we traveled, but we didn't go to big cities and, you know, big NBA markets and play. Uh, but going out to L.A., going from small town in Virginia to North Carolina, small town, college town, going all the way to Hollywood, man, it was it was eye opening. And, you know, the one thing the league had back then that the league doesn't have now, veteran guys, my vets. Yeah. My veterans, when I went to the Lakers, Sam Boyd, Sedell Three, 
James Worthy, James Edwards, uh, Vladi Divac. You know, I, I, I came to a team with guys who were had 10 and 12 years in the league. And and they kind of taught me that, you know, going to a big city like L.A., don't go to Compton, you know. You know, they, they kind of showed us, like, look, this is where you go. This is where you don't go. And if you and if you go somewhere, you know, and we we always hung together. It was always three or four of us, like me, Nick Van Axel, you know, Eldon Campbell, Doug Christie, Anthony Pillar. We were always together doing things. You know, if we went out to the club, everybody said, look, man, we're going to meet at this spot. Y'all remember Roxbury in L.A.? Woo, the Roxbury. Oh, man. Uh, we'd be in Roxbury and Suge Knight and Snoop and all of them coming there. It was like, man, it's time to go. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was my spot, the Roxbury, man. Shoot. It's time Suge to go. Roxbury and the Palladium. Yeah, Suge Knight. <laughs> go, man. Hey, everybody and, knew it was just like, here come trouble. Peanuts, <laughs> what's the spot called? Peanuts? Oh, uh, not peanuts up top. <laughs> <laughs> So you, you out there, you out there, y'all having a good time. Um, and as those guys, they they start to get older and they re, they retire, and then you have you have this this young phenom that came in, uh, Mr. Kobe Bryant. Well, I didn't get a chance to play with Kobe. I was in that trade. So so check okay. this out. I'm. This is in the summer, my third year after we uh-huh. finished. Yeah, I'm doing a basketball camp for kids in LA. It was actually in the Palisades, right? Palisades, I'll so, tell you. Yeah. And Jerry West's son is in camp. Mm. So I'm in camp. We put the camp on. I'm not for sure who dropped his son off, whether it was Jerry or his wife. He knew he was going to the George Lynch basketball camp. And um, after the camp over it, I'm getting in the car and I'm riding down I'm riding down the uh, freeway, 405, back to the house. And uh, my girlfriend at the time was like, you just got traded. I'm like, what you talking about? <laughs> That's how I found out. She told me, she said, I just saw on SportsCenter, you got traded. I was like, what? And I had two more days of camp. Wow. And, and Jerry West never came in and said, George, I need to talk to you. That's how I found out, man. Uh, and, and and they uh, sent you to to expansion team. Yeah, they sent me to <laughs> Vancouver, man. And you know, uh, at the at the time, my my minutes was up and down. You know, it was crazy because one year, I think my second year in the league, I didn't play. I might have played in ten regular season games, mm. and we make the playoffs. I went from not playing to starting in the playoffs. It was crazy. So, That's crazy. That's crazy. And, and, and that was the part that, you know, I think that I learned from North Carolina being a pro about everything. You know, I didn't get upset. I didn't get mad about my playing time. I stayed ready. And, uh, yeah, man, I, I was a starter in the playoffs. It was the first round against the Spurs. Mm. They called they call your number. You ready? You ready yep. to go out there? Yep. Yeah. So, you know, and that and that was that was the learning. You know, you can go when you're being and become a pro. You have to be ready when your numbers call. 
Yeah, it, I, I mean that's the whole thing. It ain't it ain't no love. It's 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 a business, and you learn it's a business quicker in your pawn, and, they, and and you can get traded at the drop of a hat. So yep. you went from Vancouver to Philly and to Charlotte, uh, and then they church with Charlotte turned to New Orleans. Yeah, <laughs> or, yeah. Was, or was that around? Yeah, but you 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 found you found a home there with uh with with the Hornets, and you know um, you still doing stuff with the Hornets. Yeah, so. Uh, you know, I had to, we had that great run in Philly, went to the playoffs, lost to the Lakers in the finals. Uh, it was a great run. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I let people get in my ear. I asked for a trade. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, got to so, the horn. It was, it, was it was a good experience because we were also a playoff team. We had Byron Davis, Jamal Mashburn, Eldon oh. Kennedy. I mean, we had a we had a David Wesley. I mean, we had a real good team, a solid team. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, the team moved to to. I was hoping that I was going to finish my career in in Charlotte. The yeah. team one year, the team moved to New Orleans. Pelicans. Uh, it was a great experience being in New Orleans. The the people welcomed us with, with um, open arms. The food was yeah. great. Yeah. You know, Town was always oh there was always a party in New Orleans. It was an, <laughs> inter- an interesting place, man. I had a yeah. lot. Of- I yeah, it's too many. It's a lot of festivities, man. I grew up in New Orleans, so I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, hey, baby, you know. And then the, the way that the, the, the people talk to you is, is a lot of southern hospitality. They sing, they sing to you. They instead of greeting you, they sing to you. Hey, baby. How you yep. doing? You want something? Yeah. Then they answer yep. their own question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so 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 you you mentioned because I, I don't want to I don't want to just graze over Philly, Philly because Philly, Philly you you play with AI right? right and and that man AI was an incredible individual and um, just just having a teammate like that you know I, I know that they had the clip you know with him always talking about practice practice. Right. You talking about practice, you know, <laughs> you know, and and I, I used to hear stories that AI never did practice, uh, but you know when it was game time, he did you know his what? thing. That's 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 not true, man. That's not true, man. Well, <laughs> he, he might have his early in his his career, he probably didn't practice because I I heard he was just, you know, doing what some of the other older players were doing, but when we got there, the the only only issue AI had with practice was Coach Brown was a teacher. And if you ever spent any time around Allen Iverson, he had so much talent. He could do anything he wanted. Rap, draw as an artist, play football, play basketball. This, I mean, the type of talent that he has, man, is, is, is unreal. And he just hated, like we would be in practice, go up and down four or five times, and then Coach Brown would just stop and teach. But he was teaching myself, Eric Snow, Aaron McKee, Tyrone Hill, Matumbo, everybody else but Allen. And Allen didn't like that. He was like, "Look, let us run, let us go, let's stop stopping." And uh, that was the that was the only problem that AI had with practice. But on on his defense, man, this cat, he can miss a month of practice and still be in better shape 
and better than everybody else on the floor. So it was just, it was just one of those things, man. He was just a, he was a freak of nature. And he was probably, if, if you, if I look back at my 12 years and all the so-called franchise players that I played with, he was the one franchise player. When we stepped on the floor game time, you was going to get a hundred percent every game. Hmm. And I can't say that about the rest of the guys. See, and that and that that's, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you, not about the effort about the player, but seeing the different levels of a superstar from everybody else, right? Hey, you you got you guys are all the best of the best on a league, but was Allen Iverson the the one player that you saw on the team, or was there somebody else that you was like, man, this guy's skill set is just way above everybody's? His yeah, his talent level, man, it, it it was no comparison. I mean, I I'll be I'll be lying to you if I could say someone else, man. I mean, him being, you know, however tall he was, six one, six two, man. I've watched him battle some cats, man. And he like, no, I got this. And and him really dropped 40 and 50 on a cat because a kid some the guy on the other side pissed him off. <laughs> he was that type. He was a lot of respect for AI. Yeah, yeah, beautiful, beautiful. So the league gives you a lot of stuff. Professional sports, the celebrity of all this stuff, always give you something. But then at some point, there's a transition, right? So you know, transitioning from the league and getting to where you are right now. What was that like transitioning? And tell us a little bit about where you are right now, what you're doing right now. As you 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 left the game, you went to coaching. You coach for uh, HBCUs. You're doing amazing things with uh, with HBCU heroes. So so tell us about that little whole process and, and what you're doing now. You know, it was it was tough, man. They don't they don't prepare you for life after sport. They talk about it, you know, but there's no. There's no learning curve for when that ball stops and you were always adored. Someone always told you where to be, what to do. I don't think enough guys really take advantage during the time that they're playing. And a lot of times you can't. If you're trying to win, it's very hard to, well, guys are doing it now, like LeBron and some of the guys are able to take a take advantage of off the court opportunities and it's, it's but, now, but he has he had a team he has a team you know right. LeBron has a team yeah. man so that's the difference man yeah and that's that is the difference and so it took me between trying to decide that you know do I want to be a coach I want to stay close to the game um can I do some, make some social impact, give back to the community, and then finding people who still admire you as a player, and then admire you as someone who's trying to be in the business community, uh, and able to mentor you at the same time and show you how it's done. And like you said, finding the right team of people that's gonna the things that you're not good at is gonna cover for you and help you along the way and not take advantage of you. It's it's very hard to that's a balancing act that I wouldn't put that on the on 
on many athletes. And, and the one thing I would say is, you know, while you're pursuing college, while you're pursuing your high school, and you hear your parents say it all the time, what are you going to do when the ball stops bouncing? You never think the ball going to stop bouncing. You know, even when the ball stopped bouncing for me, I thought I still had two or three years in me. You know, but my body was like, look, this is it. You can't do it anymore. Not at the level that you want to do it at. And that was the hardest part for me, uh, making that adjustment. But I, I, I finally settled in. Uh, I work. I do several things. Last year, I did TV for the Hornets, uh, commentating basketball. That was a fun experience. Uh, I work for a wealth management group, MAI Capital, where we go out. And kids now making NIL dollars, college players, high school, professional. You know, like you said, Ray, talk to the kids about investments, doing, you know, putting their money aside, paying their taxes. Um, and then I also, when I had my time at, a, at an HBCU, I thought that, you know, NCAA, everyone had the same things and afforded the same opportunities I had at Chapel Hill. Same resources, same basketball budget. Not true. You know, you can be an NCAA school and you don't even have practice uniforms. So once I found that out, man, I I, I started HBCU Heroes. Uh, it was kind of from when Steph Curry gave Howard the money for their golf program. I was like, how can I help give back when I'm no longer coaching? And my co-founder, Tracy Pennywell, and I, both Chapel Hill alumni, we go around the HBCUs. We try to bring our partners like Amazon, Aflac, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase. And we go out and we talk to the kids about financial literacy, job opportunities, internships, and give them an opportunity to ask questions. To And we, when we bring those corporations on, we bring people in that corporation that looks like them so that they can be, feel comfortable to ask the questions. And we've, we've been doing it for four or five years now, and it's been, it's been great. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing organization and the stuff stuff that you're doing. I'm glad to be you know, a part in helping you guys with, with it moving forward. I mean, but giving these kids a chance to see folks that look like them in different job spaces and having opportunities that they wouldn't have had or even considering things that they may not have seen as an as right. an opportunity as a career, that right. is it's just uh, invaluable. Yeah, yeah. Hey, man, if, if if you need some support or some help, please let me know. I'm available. Ray is available. That's what we that's what we speak about financial literacy. If you don't have financial literacy or your spirituality intact, it's going to lead you to a mental health uh, um, factor or mindset and you can deteriorate because uh, th those are the those are the, the necessities that we need in order for us to not only survive but thrive in this world, man. So yep. we we we're all here, ten toes down. So if you need your foot soldiers, we here too, baby. I appreciate it, man. <laughs> yes, Beautiful. sir. Yes, George. George, let everybody know where they can find you. They can uh, come if they want to support HBCU yeah. Heroes. You know, I'm always posting about it, so. Uh, or support you and anything else that you're doing. Let let the audience know. Yeah, we're on all social media: uh, LinkedIn, IG, Facebook, uh, HBCU Heroes. You can look us up. Uh, 
we love for corporations and people, especially alumni who's doing well, who went to an HBCU, come back and talk to those students. Um, you know, there's some bright students on the HBCU campuses. Uh, a lot of them are in the Southwest, you know, Southeast, I mean. So they, they in the, you know, we call it flyover states, you know, like Mississippi, the big corporations ain't gonna go to Louisiana, Mississippi. You know, they, everyone hears about Morehouse, Spelman, Clark. They hear about Howard, you know, FAMU is popular, but there's other schools like Bennett, South Carolina State, Claflin, you know, young and up and coming HBCUs doing a lot of great things for the, you know, the bright students. And we're currently on a 16 city tour stop for HBCUs. Uh, you can go on our website, get our dates. And we would love to alumni, local businesses that's close to an HBCU, come in and talk to the students, you know, offer intern opportunities because there's some bright students out there that's looking for opportunities. Yeah, you see, so it's day. First take was out there, Shannon, Shannon Sharp with the uh, Savannah State, my son's school. And then uh, 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 Stephen A. Smith is at uh, Winston-Salem tomorrow. So got to got to got to get that love, man. So appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, appreciate yeah. it, man. George, the things that you've done in, in your career and, and how you're inspiring people right now is, uh, you know, something that, that that we need to continue to uplift. You know, yeah. we want to always give you the best to, to you and your family. And, and, you know, the words that you have said on this show today are going to be uplifting and give somebody else, you know, an opportunity to to think that they can do better than what their block is and be bigger than their, their area. So we appreciate you, brother. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. Anytime, man, most de most definitely, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, I want I, I want to give 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 you your flowers as well, man. So yeah, thank you for everything that you do for everyone, man. Because we we need individuals like you standing up uh, in front of others, you know, strong and proud uh, to be who you are and and to come in and share this gift with these 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 the, the younger generation. Thank you all yeah. for enjoying us with, with another episode of Ringside with Ray and Prince. Make sure you yeah. follow us on all, everywhere you get your podcast. Yes. Uh, we're a proud partner of Electricast and NFL Media, NFLA Media. So yes. uh, we, we won the podcast of the year. Uh, Award-winning so podcast. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> so we do what So make sure you all tune in and tell a friend to tell a friend. Like we right. always say it at the end of every episode when we say Prince. Peace. Peace. And power. You got to give a lot just to get what you need sometimes, y'all. Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Welcome to Tuning In To Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonise your mind, body and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. 
Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Electric acid.